Hi, I'm Trudy Morgan Cole, and once again, it's time for Shelf Esteem, the first Shelf Esteem of 2022, the podcast where I talk to interesting people about the books they find interesting. And once again, uh, for the first podcast of this year, my guest is my favorite special guest star and daughter, Emma Cole, and we are doing another book swap episode where once again, we each recommend a book to each other and we talk about it. So that's what we did over our Christmas break. Here's the results. Hope you enjoy it. So we're back for another episode of Book Swap. Book Swap! With me, Trudy Morgan Cole. And me, Emma Cole. And this time, the books that we're swapping, mm-hmm. um, I got Emma to read... Big Summer by Jennifer Weiner. And Emma got me to read Throw Down Your Shadows by Deborah Hemming. Mm-hmm. So uh, these are two... Two very different books, as they often are. Yeah. Uh, if there's a common thread between them, I feel like toxic friendship might be... And summer. <laughs> and summer. That's true. They are both summertime books. Only one has summer in the title, but they both, they're both very summer. Both summer books. So I'm interested to hear how you came across this book and why you read it and why you wanted me to read it. <laughs> um... I have read, I haven't read every book Jennifer Weiner's ever written, but I have read most of them. Uh, going back. Yeah, there's a lot of them. Yeah, going back to Good, I think Good in Bed is the first one, which mm-hmm. was maybe 20 years ago now. Yeah. Um, I really like her style. She is, um, she often deals with heavy topics, but in a light way, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I get that. You get that. Like when I've read a book that's really, really emotionally wrenching and draining, I'll be like, does Jennifer Weiner have anything new? <laughs> yeah, because okay. I want something where I, I kind of know that, that she's going to take me on a journey, but I can trust her to get me back there safely. That's how I feel about Lisa Jewell a little bit. It's like, I know that there's going to be some shit that's, that goes down, but I'm going to feel okay by the end and of it. And I think Jennifer Weiner and Lisa Jewell are very much in that same sort of range of popular um, fiction, contemporary fiction aimed mainly at women, that is well-written but not making you work too hard. Yeah, yeah. Which I think is... Uh, and, and, I mean, Jennifer Weiner has been at the center of a lot of internet debates around contemporary fiction versus literary fiction mm. and fiction written by men versus fiction written by women. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I find her some uh, someone whose books are enjoyable, um, not too challenging, and usually, even though they might stray into dark territory, they end in a place that feels safe. That's the thing is like, especially in the debate with like, you know, popular versus like literary literature or whatever, you sometimes do just want a book that you know you're going to enjoy. Yes. And Jennifer Weiner for me always reliably Guaranteed enjoyment. And I think, yeah, that's all, that's an important component of book reading. Yeah. You want, you want to enjoy the experience. I mean, sometimes you want to be challenged or disturbed or troubled, but sometimes just like, I want to read a book. book. I want to enjoy the experience. I want, I want the feeling of watching Queer Eye, but I'm reading a book. (laughs) See, I don't think that would work for me because I don't think watching Queer Eye gives me that feeling. But I know what you mean. You're the (laughs) only one. It's just me. We're not going to devolve into... I don't dislike Queer Eye. Don't come (laughs) after me, people. I just have difficulty with the tropes of reality TV. Um, But I have no difficulty with the tropes of a Jennifer Weiner novel. And uh, the main reason I wanted you to read this one Mm -hmm. uh, for a book swap is because... And we will talk about this in more detail after the spoiler break, which we're going to do partway through. It has one of the biggest, most unexpected twists. Truly. I was... I was kind of coasting through the book a little bit. I was like, okay. 
And then it got to the end of part one, and I said, what book is this? Exactly. What have I been reading this whole time? What is about to happen? It was, yeah, no spoilers yet, but it was uh, incredibly surprising. Yes, it sets up certain expectations for the type of story you're going to read, and then it turns out you're reading a very different Completely different novel. And I do like that. I love a good twist. I love a writer who can surprise me. Mm -hmm. Uh, And again, Jennifer Weiner can do that, and yet still ultimately make me feel pretty safe. And like, yeah, I know, I know I'm in good hands here so Mm -hmm. uh, this one and it is actually I found out afterwards part of the first of a very loose trilogy Mm. um, Big Summer and then That Summer which I also read and I think the one that's coming out this year is called The Summer Place Okay. Uh, and the only they're not about the same characters but the connecting thread is that they are all about the same location which is a vacation community I think even a specific vacation house Mm. on Cape Cod I see I see I see yeah, because there was kind of, there was like a prologue mm-hmm. that I really kind of, my experience with this book and what book I thought it was going to be and my expectations were really on quite the roller coaster. Because the prologue is, it says, you know, 1984, uh, 1994, sorry. And then it starts with like this very kind of like pared down atmospheric telling of this like woman who moved out to this Cape Cod house to like raise her young son. And it was like oh, is this, like, a, a, a dark and, like, emotional kind of, uh-huh. you know, uh, a very regional kind of pared-down thing. And then it gets actually into the chapters, and it's completely different vibe. Yeah, completely different, different voice, narrative yeah. style, completely different voice. And I was just, at this point, I was like, I don't know what book I'm reading anymore. <laughs> and that's even before the twist. Yeah. Also, another thing, this was, I really liked Daphne as the main character. Yeah, I liked Daphne. Um, she definitely had a very specific voice, like we said, mm-hmm. and a very specific um, and interesting um, perspective that I did enjoy. At some points, I found it a little bit grating, and I don't know if this is just because I'm a, a, a Zoomer, I suppose, <laughs> but just any time social media is tried to be described in novels even in the best way it always comes across as slightly out of touch oh that's interesting because you know for a big part of this uh should be should be clear for those who haven't read it is that daphne is basically she's an instagram influencer yes. right she has this plus size fashion yeah body like, positivity thing yeah, yeah she's a plus size influencer and to me there will just always be a, a slightly off kind of disconnect when you try to describe social media in books this one did it really well mm-hmm. but what but were some of the things i don't know it's there's just something off and something strange and disconcerting about like you're reading a novel and then you see like a hashtag this or you see people referencing instagram and twitter directly i think it's better to do it like they did it in this book where everything is very honest and very straightforward. And, you know, she says, I'm posting to Instagram. I'm using these hashtags. I have these many followers. Because sometimes authors, and this happens in TV shows too, I think, try to skirt around it and say, like, a social media site. And they try to, in an attempt to make things timeless, make it so ambiguous that it's funny in a way. Um, But this, at least was very honest like this is about social media so we're gonna talk in specifics and concrete yes um but it i don't know still something about it is a little bit jarring to Mm. me yeah i can i can kind of see that yeah um anything else you want to say about this no let's talk about the other one okay and then we're gonna then we're gonna give a spoiler warning and talk about twists in both these novels Mm. okay so what made you recommend throw down your shadows by deborah hemming to me so uh deborah hemming is a author who is local to where i go to school and this book is very local to where i go to school it is set in the same region and 
features at points the town where my university is. There is um, even an extremely minor character in this book who could be you. Did you notice that? What? There absolutely <laughs> is. Sorry. There is a girl from Acadia yeah. who works at the winery during the summer on her co-op program doing marketing and communication. Right. Oh, I do remember that. Yes. Like, oh, that, could, yeah. that could be Emma's that job. That's exactly me. what she's doing. If now. I was there in 2005. Yeah. Well, that's um, true. It is in the past. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I heard about it because at Acadia, they do this thing called Authors at Acadia where they have different authors come in and talk about their books. Um, and so they had uh, Deborah Hemming come in and... Uh, when I heard about the novel, I just thought it was interesting. I wanted to read more, like, local to that area mm -hmm. fiction. So I bought the book, and of course I meant to read it before the actual event happened. I did not, so I was so worried that I was going to get spoiled, because this book is set up from the beginning. Like, there is a big before and after. Yeah, it's literally, the, yeah. Very, I think you said it was very kind of like looking for Alaska. It reminds me of John Green's looking for Alaska. Yeah, so, you know there's a central event, and you get glimpses of what Yeah, and as you get and closer after. to it, yeah, as the before and after kind of collide, you get more of an idea of what it might be. But I was still only like a quarter of the way through it, so I was like, oh, gosh, I'm, I, I, went to, I went into it like really thinking I was going to get spoiled, but I didn't. They talked kind of around it, and then also talked about Deborah Hemming's next book. Okay. Um, so I, yeah, I got to enjoy this book, spoiler free, and I liked it. I feel like once I got into it, I did read it fairly quickly, mm -hmm. um, and I just really wanted to hear your thoughts on it as well. Mm -hmm. Well, as someone who reads so much um, Newfoundland fiction, it was interesting to read um, a novel from another Atlantic Canadian province that had such a really, really strong, deeply rooted sense of place. Extremely, yeah. And, and a is, place that I know at least a little bit. The yeah, valley. it is so very local. And I mean, I, I live there sometime for school, but I don't really know the area outside of Wolfville very well. Yeah. So I have to assume it was, you know, accurate where she meant it to be accurate. I know that... Um, when I went to the reading, the author said that, you know, she had to make up some stuff. Like, the winery is kind of based on some wineries, but also the wine industry wasn't like that in the Valley in 2005. That That's kind of, like, fast-forwarding a little right, bit. So yeah. there are some things that have been kind of, like, you know, tweaked to, to make sense. But then there were things that, like... I think, don't they go to the Wolfville Farmer's Market at yes, one point? I'm they like, do. I have been there. No, like, and the way really... they refer to Wolfville is like the big town in I the know, area. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Very so sweet. Cute. Wolfville is so small so to be anywhere as big, big town. Um, so I love the local aspects of it. And I love that it was a story about adolescence and growing up, kind of a coming-of-age story. Yeah, it was a coming-of-age story, but it was... It was so much... It was also... There was a lot going on. There's a lot, there was going, a lot going on, going on. Yes, yeah. yeah. And it was almost more outwardly focused than it was inwardly focused like yeah. I find the development that happens to the main character is almost like incidental like her own personal reflection isn't really the main point of it mm. you know it's not very centered on that that's my memory of it at yeah, least yeah I think that gets into something about her as a character that again I have to talk about after we take a spoiler break yeah. um, but I will say this is about a, a 16 year old girl named Winnie mm -hmm. and her three closest friends who are all boys and she sort of very consciously has this one friend group doesn't really relate to or get along with girls or other boys besides mm -hmm. these three, and they kind of keep to themselves and have this very innocent sort of friendship that is 
Um, I think, you know, the biggest thing they ever do is steal 10 bucks from the you pick where she works. Yeah. Uh, which they do, her and her friend do as a kind of routine thing. But other than that, you know, they go tubing in the river. They hang out. They bike. There's There's been a tiny bit of sexual tension between her and Tom, who's her best, best friend. Mm-hmm. But it's never gone anywhere because she seems to want to keep them in this age of innocence. And then Caleb Ugh. comes to town. And he is this boy who is their age from outside. And a, another thing I loved, again... Coming at it from a Newfoundland writer, I think Nova Scotia, especially rural Nova Scotia, has much that same thing of like somebody comes from outside, outside and yes. it's very it's very clear this person from away has a whole different set of life experiences and values. Mm-hmm. So Caleb comes in, he's attractive, smart, manipulative, and he is um, he changes everything. He changes yes. their friendship, he changes their lives, not necessarily in the ways that Winnie thinks he is going to. And yeah. that is the story of that summer when Caleb comes into their lives and everything is very, everything changes. Yeah, and so a bit of a synopsis with Big Summer. It's about this, like we said, plus size social media influencer Daphne. Um, and she's, you know, living her life. She's on that grind set, she's doing her hustle thing. And, um, she uh, is contacted by uh, an old friend from grade school um, who is this very rich socialite um, and a bit of a mean girl in school. And she is getting married and wants Daphne to be one of the bridesmaids. Um, and, and Daphne's really shocked by this. Very request, shocked because right? they haven't talked in a while. They didn't, you know, leave things on good terms. But she, you know, decides to go along with it. And then the rest of the book is what happens at the wedding, which is not what people are expecting is going to happen in any way, shape, or form. Uh, One other thing before we get into spoiler-specific plot details is both these books made me think a bit about genre. Because as I said, like with, with Jennifer Weiner... I mean, there's been this whole thing of her being very public about why aren't books by women taken as seriously as books by men, which I sort of agree with her, but also sort of don't, because I think in both typically men's and typically women's writing, there is stuff that's considered literary and stuff that's considered popular. And I think she is an exceptionally popular and successful writer of contemporary popular fiction that's aimed mainly at women. Well, when you talk about, like, Jennifer Weiner and also, like, Lisa Jewell, kind of Mm -hmm. that stuff, you hear, and it's even on the side of the book here, is the the phrase beach read. Beach read, yes. Beach Uh, read is a very nebulous concept, and yet it's, you know... It is a shorthand, but it's something like when you're asked to describe exactly what that shorthand means, it's a little bit amorphous. Yeah, it's a little bit demeaning. I mean, my only definition for a beach read is a book that I don't care if I get sand in the pages. Yes, but but in terms of content, beach read is a little bit different. I think I would probably describe it as like, a beach read is, and I think we already touched on this, a book that's not really going to make you work too hard. Yeah. Like, you can read it while you, like, you can pick it up and put it down multiple times throughout the day. You can, or you can sit and read it all in one go. Um, it's something that usually goes a bit quicker, a bit of a page turner. And while maybe it does deal with some heavier stuff, it doesn't deal with it in a heavy way that's going to yes. bring down the mood when yeah. you're on vacation that's at the right. beach it's or kind something. Of, it's going to yeah. kill your vibe. Yeah. I mean, Jennifer Weiner had this very public, I don't think she had a direct spat with Jonathan Franzen, but with the way her work is marketed compared to Jonathan Franzen's. But I think there, I mean, to me, if you're looking for like a male equivalent of a Jennifer Weiner, you're looking at something like a John Grisham or a Robert Ludlum, mm-hmm. who I talked about last, last, last episode with the Omicron variant, which sounds like a Robert Ludlum title. Uh, and they're thrillers, mm-hmm. but that is sort of mainstream contemporary fiction by and aimed at mostly men. Yeah. And to me, she is right. I think she's a better writer than either of them, but I don't think she's trying to be 
high award-winning literary. I think she's trying to write books that people that will people read want enjoy. to read. read and enjoy, you know, yes. There are some books that you can talk about, like the theory of them and where they fit in the literary canon. But do you want to read them? <laughs> I think, and I think you want to read them. And I think this is what's encapsulated in the phrase "beach read" too, which can be very sort of demeaning and put downy. But there are books for different moods and different, yeah. you know, like there's a book you want to read when you really want to, you know, give it your focus and attention. There's a book you want to read when you want to be really wrung out emotionally. And then there's like we were saying about this one, when you just want to enjoy reading you a book. enjoy a book, Yeah, can count on Jennifer Weiner for that. Yeah. So just to turn real quickly now to talking about Throw Down Your Shadows. So again with the genre thing, in every way that counts this is a young adult novel yeah the protagonist is 16 it takes place while she is a young adult um, while she's a teenager it is about teenage concerns and and uh, interactions and friendships and relationships but i don't think it's marketed as a ya novel yes and i think and this is something i've just come up with on the spot oh i think new theory new theory new hot take alert fresh off the press i think that if it's marketed as YA, that means that your target demographic is what's the what would the age range of that be like? Thirteen. I mean, thirteen to eighteen. To eighteen, yeah. yeah. So I think that when you are that age, you lack a certain amount of self awareness about the fact that you are that age. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Like you, it, it's the same thing when you have like. 13 and 12 year olds who claim they're all grown up because to them they think that they are you know they don't have the perspective they don't have the perspective and that's the word is perspective and i think this book for example Mm -hmm. is even though the protagonist is 16 years old it is aimed at an audience that understands in retrospect what it's like to be 16. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's written for someone who is currently 16 that is interesting. because to appreciate it and to understand it fully, I think you need to have that, like I said, the retrospective on having mm-hmm. been that age rather than being that age right now. That's interesting. And she is older at the end, so we do yes. get the sense that this is all being told in flashback. I was kind of thinking that there is a gap in YA in Canadian fiction because, and these are books that we have, I think both, certainly both talked about in person, and I think both talked about on the podcast. Susie Taylor's Even Weirder Than Before mm-hmm. is one example, and Bridget Canning's right. Some People's Which, Children is another. Again, both of those, I think, involve kind of a steady timeline, and then a little more, like... Into the future. Into yeah. the future, or at least definitely Even Weirder Than Before has the sense of it's a retrospective. It's yes, not happening yeah. present tense. This has happened, and we are looking She's back. She's looking back at it, I yeah. think that is one of the main things that separates what you think of as, like, the classic, like, marketable YA from the more literary That's right, because in, in what is marketed as YA, you don't usually have that sense of an adult reflecting on their teenage No, because experience. teenagers live very much in, in the, the moment, moment yeah. so you need a book that feels like this is happening right now, just like your teenagerhood is happening to you right That's now. That's true, yes. So I would put this, along with Even Weirder Than Before and Some People's Children, um, as really strong examples of Atlantic Canadian women writers writing about being teenagers and all books with a really Mm. strong sense of place too that are not marketed as YA but I think are readable by smart teenagers yeah yeah that's you also kind of get that feeling from John Green's novels a little bit and those are marketed as YA those are marketed as YA but you have I mean I remember I I was there 
<laughs> I remember when the Fault in Our Stars came out. I was, so do I. I was no, but I was in the trenches. I was right, in middle child, school. You were an actual child in that. I was out. in the trenches fighting for my life. And I <laughs> and I remember like how into it me and my friends were. And then you would have some people that absolutely hated it. Mm -hmm. And I think I heard someone, and you know, I even hear people who were, who are my age, who have like grown up with this discussion, still talking about this, like on TikTok and Twitter and Tumblr, you still hear people talking about kind of what side do you fall on in the John Green debate, essentially. Um, And I heard someone say that it's like, John Green writes novels for pretentious teenagers. And I think that that's true, and I think that's okay. Yeah, I don't think the same thing. I think that's great. First of all, pretentious teenagers read a lot of books. Yes, exactly. So if you're going to target a demographic, teenagers who think that they're like not like other teenagers is a pretty good one to go for. Um, But yeah, and I definitely get that sense with like, yeah, like looking for Alaska and even the Fault in Our Stars. It is, it's just enjoyable enough by like, the masses of teens that it can be very remarkable because you know those like mm-hmm. those fall this huge romance that yeah. everybody loved but also it does kind of have this self-awareness retrospective feel even though the fault in our stars for example isn't framed like that that makes the pretentious teenagers and middle schoolers think that they're like getting more out of it yes yeah, yeah. and maybe they are and maybe they are and that i'm not like the other teens too as a very big theme in throw down your shadows so yeah when he has not like the other girls itis uh very and it's again that's why i think this is better read if you're not 16 if you're a few years removed from that because like for example me reading winnie and being like oh she's insufferable this is also exactly how I felt. <laughs> she is awful. I hope you weren't as critical of your mother. As no, she is oh my gosh, she's no, awful no, no. about her mother. But in in some ways, I was like, she is unbearable for this. But also, sometimes you just have to be like this for a few years. <laughs> yeah, sometimes you do. Put a pin in that thought because we're going to come back to that after yeah. the spoiler break. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other thing before we get into plot in a big way is. Why do you think this book is set in 2005? Why didn't you just set it no the phones. present day? That's what it is. No phones. Yeah, no phones. No. I, there's just enough existence of cell phones and social media that Winnie is able to not participate in it and feel superior to people who do. Mm-hmm. So she's able to be a little bit like somebody, you know, looks up information about somebody online and she's, she's kind like, of, oh, oh, that's a thing you could do, I guess. Yeah. Um, as opposed to, yeah, the extent to which you would, this, this entire story would be dominated by phones and social media if it took Almost, place in 2020. You know, like this, like Big Summer is dominated yes, exactly, by phones because and social it is media set and relies so heavily on the crux of social media and technology yeah. for so many plot So points. it is very much of its time and this oh, book yes. is of the time it's set but because it was written in the present time you feel like she is trying to throw back to a simpler but only slightly simpler time yes she's not trying to go all the way back that she's gonna have to do a lot of research yeah. on authenticity for an era I suppose, how old is she is she right is, would these be her own teenage years she's probably about? i she's, think so was she in her like early 30s maybe yes okay so she's probably setting she it looked in very a, chic in look as I'm sure Winnie would by the end yes. of the novel also. Um, so now that we've, we've teased it enough, we're going to say, if you're going to read either of these books, they do have fairly big plot twists in them. And if you are a person who hates spoilers, then this may be enough of the podcast for you to listen yeah. to. So this is the spoiler break. <laughs> but if you don't care about spoilers, or you're convinced you're never going to read either of these books, or you've read them already, mm. stay with us, because we are going to talk about twists. And I think we'll start with talking about the big twist in Big Summer. Yes. So the difference between the big twist in Big Summer and a Throw Down Your Shatters is that Throw Down, throw down Your Shirters. Throw Down Your Shirters. <laughs> 
So in Big Summer, the, you are not expecting the twist at all. In Throw Down Your Shadows, it's framed in that before and after, so you back know and something forth. Big is you coming. know something's coming. You know something is happening. Big Summer, the twist for those of you who don't know is that Drew, this socialite rich bitch friend who is going to get married, is found dead in the hot tub on the morning of the wedding. And this is a huge shock to everyone and to me personally. I could not. I, I was so shocked when I read this. I was gooped and gagged. <laughs> I was vomiting. I was okay, you weren't that <laughs> But I will say, like, I did say I've read most of Jennifer Weiner's large and this output is a big of novels. Swing for her? This is a big swing for her. Because like, I thought, oh, this is going to be about a complicated female friendship yeah. and Daphne defining herself against this old frenemy and discovering more about who she is and maybe there's going to be a little romance. And <laughs> then Drew's dead. Drew is like the whole kind of offset of Daphne. She's like Daphne's origin story. Yes, yeah. It's just Dead. And, and and also, we should say, dead under suspicious circumstances. Suspense. Foul play Foul has been play, involved. Yes. Daphne is suspected, maybe? Yeah. So, yeah, exactly. Daphne is, is in a position where she she is in a suspicious and, position. And all of a sudden, this becomes a running around murder mystery thriller. Yes, and I never expect... I mean, I like it. I, I totally trust Jennifer Weiner to take me on a murder mystery, but I was not expecting Big Summer to turn into a murder mystery or a thriller, and it did. It really did, and it went hard. Mm. It went, like, it was... We're not even going to be tongue-in-cheek about this. This is a murder mystery yes. now, and you're here for it. You're here for it. Um, I have to say, I just read this on the heels of Box in the Woods by Maureen Johnson. Okay. So which is, maybe which is a mystery. Which is a mystery. Mm-hmm. It's a hardcore murder mystery thriller. And I gotta say, no one is out here doing murder mystery like Mrs. Maureen Johnson. Okay. She is full tilt, off the rails, serial killer, murder mystery, insanity, and I'm so here for it. And she's so good at it. So... That might have influenced some of my critiques as well, to how that the is interesting. mystery that part of this played out. Because one of the... An important element of a good murder mystery, and again, I just read a Maureen Johnson, so that's why I had seen an example of this done mm-hmm. really, really well, is that Maureen Johnson, in a narrative and very well done, well put together way, will throw a lot of information at you. There's also the fourth book in this series of hers right, that yes. I've read. She'll throw a lot of information at you, and you know some of it's going to be important later. And the fun part is putting together, okay, is that detail going to be important? No, yes. they've already gone down that thing and that's squashed. But is this detail going to be important? And then you get to the end, and you find out the conclusion, and you go, oh my god, of course. Yes. If you, if, if you have been paying attention, you will either get it a page before... Or you will be surprised, but then you will go, oh, okay, and yeah. This is actually my favorite Golden Age mystery writer, Dorothy L. Sayers. This was one of her principles, and these were the mysteries that I, the first mysteries I ever read were hers. Mm-hmm. And her principle was everything should be in there so that the reader doesn't necessarily guess the solution, but at the end of the, it seems inevitable. Yes, and they look back inevitable. and go, I should have seen it all. Should have along. seen that, because, and even like, Again, having read a lot of these Maureen Johnson mysteries, you get to the point where you're looking at all this information and you're like, I, it sucks because I know that something in here is it, you yeah, know? Yeah. I know that I have the feeling, just like the people solving the mystery do, that of all the stuff I've heard, something in there, two or three things, must have been it. Yes, yeah. And then the character is the one who figures it out and you go, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, that, that right. makes a lot of sense. Um, even the Maureen Johnson one was 
again, pretty insane. There was a secret Nazi, mm-hmm. but she did it so well that I was like, of course there was of a secret Nazi. Of course there was a secret Nazi. There, there was, was so always many, a secret Nazi. There were so Nazi. many clues. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so even that one was a little bit wild, but it was still done well. This one I felt, the twist in Big Summer, and again, preface this by saying I did enjoy it. It was a fun read. Felt a little bit out of left field. I think it was a bit of a cop-out for... It was it was too out of left field for the murderer to have been someone who is not involved in the wedding whatsoever. Hmm. And maybe you disagree with me on this. Maybe it is better than like, oh, well, who could it have been at the wedding is like a good red herring. It was like the one person who's not involved in the wedding is the one we should have been looking at. Right, yeah. But to me, it just felt like we had been invested so much into the family drama. It's, it's almost, like, it's not quite, but it's almost like a locked room mystery because yes. you do have You're these, like, okay, you know, we're uh, on this I, kind of fairly isolated area out in the Cape. All these people have different motives. There's murder, there's money, there's romance involved, you know? Mm-hmm. Who of these people had the right combination of, like, and it's like, it was someone who wasn't even there. She sent the poison by, like, courier pigeon or something. Yes, yeah. And it's like, how would I have known that? Yeah, it's it's, it's cheating. <laughs> sorry, sorry for yelling. A lot of, yeah, we're gonna have to pull the levels down on that. Sorry, one a how would I have known that? Um, yeah, I think to some mystery writers and some mystery readers, that's breaking the writer's contract with the reader because mm-hmm. it's it's pulling something that's too obscure yeah. and you haven't been given enough clues. Also, to I just have to say another thing that made it frustrating. There was truly no way I could have known. Maybe this is just me being stunned, but there's no way I could have known because the character as we knew her apparently completely changed her name from when she knew Drew, the victim. Yes. So it's like, yeah. even if there had been any clues... They would have been about a they different person. They would have been person. about a different person. Yes, yeah. it's like, and the whole plot is that, okay, she knew Drew, she had a different name, she looked this way, she blah, 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 blah. Then she changed her life entirely, basically assumed a new identity, and then found this way to get close to... Even though she didn't really have to get close to Drew, she just sent a courier yeah. to give some poison or something. And that feels like I, I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> There's yeah. no way I could have known that. And then also the reveal, it wasn't even the reveal of like, we know there was an old friend and we know there's this new unconnected character and wow, they've wow, been the, same, the person. same person. The the time we figured out that she was the murderer and that we figured out she'd been living under a fake name was the same moment. Yes, yes. Yeah, so there was no time to put it together. Yeah. No, I agree about all that. I think there is there is that. And again, mis- different mystery writers are different about this. Mm-hmm. And Jennifer Weiner is not primarily a mystery writer, but you know, some of them feel differently about withholding information from the reader. But yeah, I agree. There was a Too lot much of like a hard. First of all, the hard left turn in the plot when it turned into a murder mystery, mm-hmm. and then the hard turn at the end when it's like this character you were not paying attention to, but also had no idea had yeah. any backstory like, with. Them. Again, it's good for it to be a character that was unassuming. The way yes. that Maureen Johnson did that was that when these characters go to visit the town and they talk to everybody about the murders that happened 20, 30 years ago, whatever, the very first person they talk to, who is the first person to be sweet and welcoming and tell them all the information, ends up being connected at the very end. So it's like the most unassuming because it's your first introduction, so you're very like, oh, she's finally talking to them, she's the one they can confide in, and then it was her the whole time. Right? right, right. That, That works. This misses. We should say this. This podcast also contains spoilers for the book *The Box in the Woods* by Maureen Johnson. Don't worry about it. We Don't spoiler about break. It. We did it. Okay. Um, so yeah, I felt that, and again, maybe I'm just being too critical because I had read a really good murder mystery right before. But this. I think that's okay. I mean, if a person who doesn't normally write murder mysteries is going to turn their book into a murder mystery, they need to be judged by that standard. It was fun. It was exciting, but it didn't feel like a satisfying 
conclusion. You didn't to the have murder. that. Ah, oh, I should have known all. No, I thought, how the hell would I have known that? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. no, I agree with you on that completely. Mm-hmm. Now, throw down your shadows. I did spot the twist ahead of when it was revealed. Yes, I did too. But not not really far ahead. Like I didn't work yeah. it out. Uh, really early. Uh-huh. So the before and after of the novel is there has been a massive destructive fire. Uh-huh. Um, and the book kind of starts the morning after the fire. Mm-hmm. And then it goes back to talk about what happened before. And then in alternating chapters, what happens after. And eventually you get to the night of the fire. And the fire is pretty clearly a, 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 an act of arson and intentionally mm-hmm. set arson around. Someone's arson around that burns down a winery that belongs to... A Jennifer Winery. Burns <laughs> <laughs> down a winery that belongs to Mac, who is Winnie's mother's boyfriend. Mm-hmm. And Mac is a great character, and he really deserves to have this winery. He and deserves everything. He deserves everything, and it except what happens to him. Yeah. Uh, and it employs a lot of people in the town, and it's a really good thing for the town, this winery. And so the loss of the winery is devastating and it is pretty clearly set up from early on that Caleb the mysterious uh, ruthless manipulative who's boy, been suspected of arson before yes um, and has done some very nasty things to people who crossed him mm-hmm. it's it's very clearly set up that Caleb set the fire yeah and, and everyone he, suspects him everyone is like there was that outsider you know yes and he's done you know, like I said he's done terrible things before and it's it's even set up that he worked for Mac at the winery for a while and then Mac fired him for stealing so he so would have like motive, motive means, means motive means opportunity whole nine yards and then the hard turn at the end uh, is when it is revealed that the fire was not set by Caleb mm-hmm. it was set by Winnie trying to frame Caleb for the fire because she has she has become very disillusioned with Caleb, partly... Okay, this is another question I have about this novel, which gets... I mean, we're deep into spoiler territory. We're deep, territory. In, we're deep, we're deep in, in now. Um, is she disil- truly disillusioned with Caleb because of the terrible influence he is having on the other boys, her three friends, or because he didn't... After, after he flirting with her. her and kissing with her a couple times, kissing her a couple times, he just dropped her and didn't date her. So if he had gone a different direction with that and she had become his girlfriend, maybe she would not have felt so bad about the flaws in his character. Yeah, I think a lot of the fun questions about this novel is how would things have gone like if this hadn't happened? Like if Caleb hadn't come in, yeah. would the like in the end the friend group grows apart anyway. They yes. like go to different universities and she even says I don't really know what they're up to, right? Yeah, no, she doesn't like, stay close with them. It's like all this ridiculous stuff happens and it's like isn't the result probably exactly the same or if she hadn't made this attempt to save them, would they have somehow gotten closer and like things would have worked out on their own? The attempt to save them is so twi- like the well, whole that's thing is it's, it's not really focused on the boys. It's not really an attempt to save them. It's an attempt to just get rid of Caleb. Which yes. will ensure he suffers and he's removed from her life entirely. But she frames it as she she's doing it, it to save them. But I feel like there are other things she could have done, maybe. A lot. like the, She had other options. The triggering incident is she goes to a party quite a ways through the novel. And she sees Caleb and the other boys, her previous best friends, sexually assaulting another girl. Yes, and also... Horrible scene. Well written because I felt horrible. Yes, it was, it was awful. Awful. Yeah, to that, read. that was extremely well done. Deborah Hemming, that sucks. You did a great job. Yeah, it's horrible. Um, 
And yeah, so that's the incident. But then weirdly, that is like never resolved. And I guess maybe that's realistic that you wouldn't know how to bring that up. But there is a period after where she becomes friends with the boys again. Yeah. And it's like, was that girl okay? Did yeah. they do anything more to her? Did she get saved by her? Like, what the? What? And how, how do you go back to being such close friends with these people and not be wondering that all the time? And yeah, and how do you reach the conclusion that if my three best guy friends and this other guy were sexually assaulting this girl, and I, just for clarity, because again, we're deep into spoilers here, it's not a rape, but it is no. very clearly but some thing- non-consensual sexual touching yes, at a party. And, and also... She, we don't know what happened after. No, exactly. She, says she that just she, leaves. She, right? she, she oh. says that she briefly said to a friend, like, Allison's upstairs, she's sick. Oh, well, yeah. But so we she, don't know if that friend went to check up on her. No. We don't know what else happened. So she that could have been gang raped at that party. I don't know. know. And the fact that I didn't know that about these characters weighed on me. Yeah. And I didn't, like, I couldn't read anything about these boys after and be like, I don't know what else happened that yeah, night. And, and when he doesn't seem, it never crosses her mind again, at least that we see. No, it doesn't. She, she, it's her it's her justification for doing what she does uh, but it, she seems to see it as Caleb has influenced these boys so they have done a terrible thing the solution to that is not to talk to my friends about Mm-mm. this terrible thing that they've done uh, that I saw but just to get rid of Caleb and if we get rid of Caleb everything will be reset and it's not you know yeah. they're, like they're still the boys who did that and I think even when she's like doing her little epilogue she's like I wonder if Sam still assaults girls at parties and it's yeah. like what do you mean you wonder? <laughs> I know. Very, very, um, yeah, very disturbing. And, it, the, like, if what she wanted was to detach them from Caleb and make them see that he's a bad person and set them on back on, on the path that they were on before they met him, there are so many ways to do this that don't involve committing a horrifying yeah. act of arson well, and framing someone like, for That's it. the thing is, again, this feeds into what I think about how it, it reads better if you're not 16. Mm. Because when he had so many other options, but because she considered herself to be, you know, one of those pretentious teenagers who knew better and was different, Winnie thought, you know, well, I've never been caught up in relationship drama before, so clearly I can't be now, and everything I'm doing is very rational and practical. And where it takes anybody else, any outside perspective would say, no, you are a little bit burned because your friends aren't your friends anymore, the guy you thought would always be into you doesn't seem to be paying you attention anymore, and then the new guy who you're really into is just toying with yeah, you. Yeah, you're, like, you're just experiencing the emotions of a 16-year-old girl. Exactly, but because she's so barred herself off from the fact that she is a 16-year-old girl, she acts like an insane person. Yeah, and she does something that is so out of proportion, like even to the, even if your trigger is the sexual assault at the party mm-hmm. of another girl... Even then, the response is very uh, poorly calibrated to the trigger. Like yes. it's very, it's 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 bizarre enough that it makes you wonder about Winnie yes. herself. And I think that's where I land on this book is that even when you get the, I mean, it is it is very well written. Yes. It's absolutely yeah. compelling to read, and I do recommend it. But don't recommend Winnie as a person, and no. even as she then tells the story from the perspective of her adult life many years later. She doesn't seem to have learned or grown or put this experience into perspective at all or at any point said, wow, they did a terrible thing, but I also did a terrible thing, and I now see that that was terrible. I don't think she ever reaches that moment. Yeah, well, I guess that leads us into, like, do your narrators need to be likable? And especially, is there more of a burden on female narrators and main characters to be likable? Yes, this is a huge issue in fiction. The likability of the character, particularly the female character. 
I had no problem with Winnie's unlikability throughout most of the book. Yeah. Because, like you said, yes, she's a difficult and pretentious sixteen-year-old, but, but we've all you just been, a have lot of to be been, that for yes. a few years, and it's fine, and we'll ignore and, you, and you'll grow up. And she's very, you know, snarky about her mother, who appears to be doing the best she can as a single mom. She's mm-hmm. very cynical about other people, and she does do a really, really terrible, destructive thing. But it wasn't until that epilogue kind of looking back that I thought oh maybe she wasn't a teenager who did a terrible thing maybe she just really is a terrible person Mm. I feel like I don't believe characters especially female characters have to be likable but if they're going to be the main character of the book there has to be something I don't know, redeemable or capable of growth or something. Something like, that makes I think you... Winnie might be a psychopath, is what I'm saying. Well, maybe. <laughs> I don't know, because I was going to say maybe you need to be able to sympathize or empathize with him, but I think you can sympathize and empathize with Winnie to a certain extent. Yeah, maybe un- until you get to that epilogue, kind of, and mm. you see she just kind of kept carrying on doing what she was doing. Yeah, you know? yeah. She, she kept being that same person, and she doesn't... You know, to me, that she doesn't really seem to have any remorse for destroying Mac's entire livelihood, even though she likes Mac. Yeah. Is, I mean, I don't mind that she doesn't have a lot of remorse for pinning a crime on Caleb, because he never seems to suffer any consequences. No. And he is an awful person. He's awful. I couldn't, like, imagine the book if Caleb were the main character. Yeah. He'd be a very cold and unpleasant anti-hero, and I feel like that's almost what we've got with Winnie. Yeah, I think so. She doesn't... She doesn't show a lot of, like, emotional vault. Like, she's very... She's very kind of straightforward, almost. Yes, like, yeah. she doesn't seem to go through... She almost prides herself in not being an overly emotional person. Mm-hmm. Which somehow makes it scarier. Like, yes. all the kind of calculated stuff that she does. And, I mean, I know that she does what she does specifically to, yeah, save her friends. But the way that she assumes that's her responsibility and that this is the only way to do it... I don't know. It just... And yeah, then that she doesn't seem to show much remorse other than like the facts on paper of Mac is a nice guy. I like him. It's sad I did this to his winery. You know, yeah. like it's almost very like factual the way that yeah. she. Um, but I think almost till the end, she seems to feel she had to do this. Which yeah, which like she did if, not. I mean, if there were, and uh, maybe I'm misremembering. Maybe there is something like this. If there's like a moment where right after she sh- sets the fire, she goes, "Oh." <laughs> This was a bad idea. Perhaps. <laughs> I should not have done this. I don't recall a moment like that either. And no. again, if it was too subtle for both of us, maybe it was too subtle. Yeah. Again, to bring it back to the Jennifer Weiner novel, mm-hmm. one of the things that I think Jennifer Weiner does well, and one of the reasons I like her so much as a writer, not all of her characters are likable, although her main viewpoint characters usually are. But I feel like she has... She develops every character well, and I feel like she allows you a touch of empathy, even yes. for... Like, even for Drew, I mean, obviously, getting murdered at your wedding is, is sucks. Mm-hmm. Uh, Drew's not a nice person. No. But I think there's the possibility of empathy for her or of seeing her in an empathetic yeah, light. Yeah, you definitely get a chance that, I mean, this is kind of like boohoo, poor rich people. But, like, <laughs> that she didn't really have the opportunity to develop, like, real person skills as yeah. a child. You know, she didn't really have... She wasn't, based on who her parents are and how she was raised, she was kind of set on a certain path. And it seems like if we're to believe everything we discover about her after she's dead, she was genuinely trying to change and Mm -hmm. like at least maybe start to live a double life where in one of them she was a nice (laughs) person, which is, I guess, an improvement. It's it's halfway there. And even the murderer, who is a cold-blooded killer, Mm -hmm. 
has somewhat of a genuine grievance. Yeah. You know, so... I mean, it's... You have to accept a lot to get to the point where the murderer's beef and the way she went about it was reasonable. Definitely the way she went about it, for sure. Yes. Um... But I also, what I liked about Daphne was that, the, the narrator, was that she was a little bit not likable to mm. me. Like, she was definitely very real. I understood where she was coming from. She was funny. She was witty. All that stuff. But then there would be times where, like, she would say really mean things about yes. other people's appearance. I'm like, oh, you haven't fully unlearned all of this no, stuff. No, no. She would honestly make remarks that if you took some of her descriptions of people and put them in my year of rest and relaxation, they wouldn't seem out of place. <laughs> Like, she was definitely very, she, you know, she is trying to be positive, but she is still very superficial, and she's mm-hmm. very judgmental, not just about herself, but about other people as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. But I, I like, I, I, to me, that's a level of complexity to a character. Exactly, that's she's what I'm flawed. saying. It was, yeah. it was a good level of complexity. It was mostly, I see where she's coming from, I get her, I like her, but she's got some stuff to work on, you yeah, know? And yeah. it was done in a, in a very real and understandable and, like, um absorbable way yes Mm -hmm. and to me to get back to throw down your shadows i mean i really do have issues with winnie not throughout the story but in her perspective at the end because she does still have a bit of cold-blooded killer feel to me yeah um the the other i thought the best characters in this novel were the minor characters yeah like the major characters who three best friends who are named tom sam and jake who are the same boy really like just interchangeable young canadian boy i yeah. know they're given like they're each given a character. i couldn't even keep a picture of them straight in my mind like i couldn't even no i tom i could remember okay his role is that you can literally just remember by tom is the best friend sam's a bit of a dick Jake's on a farm. That's literally all that they have going for them in terms of differences. Maybe that's the point, because all teen boys are the same. But, but see, this is, and you'd forgotten this character, when, because we have Tom. Oh yeah, you said this to me out of the blue, and we have Tom You Sam, have to give me a quote, and I, I don't believe you. We have Tom, Tom, Sam, and Jake throughout the book, and then we have Caleb, who is almost kind of cardboard cutout villain. Yeah. Um. But then we have this character named Dylan who shows up <laughs> right at the end, minor character, someone who, a guy who I think kind of likes Winnie, but it never, it's never followed up on. And we're gonna, yeah, we're just gonna, we need to do an excerpt. Yeah, we have to do an excerpt here. Um, a dramatic reading. Dramatic readings. Yeah, I, I see what you mean, like the, the world building and the like fleshing out of everything. Um, it was, it was very. I, like you said, I liked the secondary characters. I liked the setting. It was all very... I liked the the adult characters. Yes, the I adult thought, characters um, were great. It's her mom and Mac. Yeah. Her, her mom, the artist. Mac, the winery owner, who get together over the course of the book. I think it's Jake's mom, Mona, who's like the yes. fortune teller. Yes, she's like, great. there's a lot of great, more minor characters, really well developed. Yeah. I also thought that with the, like, whole looking back thing, there were some things where, like, you know, she's talking... Like, Winnie, who says that she's, you know, doesn't take part in, you know, girly things like gossiping, but then fully believes things that she hears about other people at school. Whereas an adult, you're like, that didn't happen. <laughs> These are just people gossiping, and you're no better than everyone else. So Dylan is this guy... I, this is the bit that, that struck me. Dylan is this guy in, in her class who has never been mentioned until more than three-quarters of the way through the book. Uh, he's on the football team, which becomes a point of contention because all the boys join the football team. And she's like, I thought we were too good for sports. Which, Why are you guys... Relatable, very relatable high school suddenly, behavior. suddenly on the football team? Uh, Dylan is on the football team. He's a mountain boy. He's he's from the mountains. Uh, Jake's so, a farm boy. Yeah. Dylan's a mountain boy. But um, 
Our teacher, Mrs. Sanford, droned on about the Acadian settlement in Grand Pre. Acadian history would be a major unit this semester. When Dylan put up his hand. <laughs> yes, Dylan? Mrs. Sanford blinked behind thick grandmotherly glasses. I caught a baby raccoon yesterday, Dylan said, <laughs> with no acknowledgement of the subject change. Saw it tramping around the backyard. I baited it with my peanut butter sandwich. It walked over to me like it was nothing. Ate the whole thing right out of my hand. Mrs. Sanford blinked again. Caleb, sitting next to me, looked sideways, baffled by Dylan's outburst. I've got it trapped in a cage, Dylan went on. The one we use for the dog in the summer so he can stay outside all day? What do you think raccoons like to eat? The class laughed, and Mrs. Sanford looked down at her lecture notes as if maybe they held the answer. Do you think the mom is going to come looking for a baby? My brother Chase says raccoons can be vicious, especially if you take their young. I, I don't know, Dylan, Mrs. Sanford stuttered. I can't say I've ever been in that situation before. There is more characterization of Dylan in that half page than there is of Tom, Sam, Jake, and Caleb. I want to hear about Dylan. I think we need the book about Deborah Dylan. Deborah Hemings, give us the book about Dylan. Oh my, like that's, that's to me is an example of what I mean when I say, there's, when I say there's a richness to her minor characters yeah. that I feel is kind of missing in the major characters. They almost feel like blank slates, whereas Dylan and his raccoon You know just, everything you need to know about Dylan and yet you need to know more. Yes, he just jumped off the page with that one oh scene. My gosh. He's and in a few other scenes and then he's, he's out of the book. And also, again... That's very high school. Oh, very. That's so yes. high school. The only thing is that unless she's a new teacher, a teacher, a high school teacher would not be as baffled by that. No, happening. no. A real she high school teacher would, would go, no, Dylan, I don't know about your raccoon. <laughs> I've had 27 years of teaching. I would have rolled with the raccoon question. Mrs. Sanford should have too. <laughs> she must be a new teacher because any other high school teacher would, would have a would, raccoon yeah, response. Would have a way to handle that. Yeah. So that, that was one of my favorite bits of this book, which has nothing to do with the main plot of the main characters, but it's just a lovely bit of detail to enlighten a very And again, the character. details are so good. The yes. details are lovely, the writing is lovely, the atmosphere is lovely. It's just... And it, I, it's, I mean, it's intentional that Winnie is a bit of an unlikable oh, main yes, character, yeah. but it's just, is it too unlikable? Yeah, you know? and in the, given that we're getting it from the perspective of her as an adult... I found it a little chilling at the end when she didn't well, seem like to have the, any more perspective the, than she did when she was 16. The other option is that she completely regrets it, and then it's an entirely different book. Then it's just kind of sad, you yeah, know? Like, yeah, that's true, Then too. it's, like, somehow even more horrible. If she's like, here's my confession of this horrible, you know, like... <laughs> These are my, my confessions. confessions. <laughs> yeah, like, it's... Yeah, I don't know. I, I see the the route of just leaning into Winnie is a fairly unfeeling character, and mm -hmm. we're just going to hear it from her straight yes, up, you yeah. know? Well, it certainly was an engaging Although read. maybe she is more feeling than she thinks she is because of the fact that she sets a fire about a boy. The boy is mean to her, and she does arson about it. <laughs> she she does have a lot of feelings on that level, but yes. she's, she's very out of touch with being able to analyze and reflect on her feelings even 10 to 15 years later, which is the time timeline of the, uh, of yeah. the epilogue, I think. Mm -hmm. So I think she is probably late 20s, at least, by the time. And the trigger for the epilogue is she sees Caleb again, and he's still yes. pretty awful, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just wish, I don't know, Caleb had died or something. <laughs> <laughs> again, it's just like, are there any consequences for anyone in this I novel? mean, there's definitely not... Caleb is suspected of arson and Winnie actually commits it and it's immensely destructive and neither of them is punished for it. No. Everyone in the town seems to be like, well, that was a thing that happened. That was weird. Let's move Somebody on. Somebody set a, a hugely destructive fire. Let's move on. So mm -hmm. I thought that was unusual. But 
It's a good book. Else, it's a good book. Anything else to say about either of these two books, do you think, as um, we wrap? As we wrap up. I mean, we're not going to suddenly start rapping. <laughs> as we break into our, our musical... This is also becoming a musical improv podcast, yeah. apparently. Um, I enjoyed them both for very different reasons. They mm-hmm. are both books that are very heavily set in their time and in their place. Mm-hmm. Strong um, sense of place. Strong, strong sense, sense of, of place. Time, yeah. I think you... Definitely, they they cover the spectrum in terms of likable main characters. Yeah. Um, One of them is all over the place in terms of being, like, romance and, like, about personal, like, growth and then about murder. Murder. Whereas this one, you know that there's, like, something's up from the beginning. So they're definitely very... It's very much about the thing that it tells you from the beginning. (laughs) Exactly. They're framed very differently. They're books for different moods. Yes, Um, But I think they are both very well written and very worth your time. Indeed. And if Deborah Hemming goes on to write another 20 books like Jennifer Weiner has, I will be interested to read more, but I want one of them to be about Dylan. Yes. First, yeah, give us the Dylan. I don't care if it's novella, if it's a short story. Deborah Hemming, we are requesting the Dylan Chronicles. We're requesting the Dylan story, yes. Um, I think she's writing a new book, if it ends up being the same that I heard about at the reading about someone who has just published their first novel and is now going on like it's like a big bestseller and she's uh-huh. all of a sudden is like a famous writer and is trying to you know navigate that world it sounded very interesting very so I interesting. am I am interested to hear what it's, it's uh, comes from her feels next. for me like for any Atlantic Canadian writer that is largely writing a wish fulfillment fantasy yes because what actually happens is you publish your first book, and if you're lucky, you get to do a reading at Authors at Acadia because you went to Acadia. And because she works there, yeah. I think. And that's the real life of an Atlantic Canadian yeah, author. absolutely. And, and I hope Deborah Hemming has many years of it ahead of her. And of course, Jennifer Weiner, already a legend. I hope there are many, many books ahead of her. I will definitely be reading The Summer Place. And I, if I read any more of them, I'm on the lookout for murder from the get <laughs> Well, I think you should read that summer, the okay. sequel. It is not murder exactly, but there definitely is a mystery thriller element to it. Okay. But again, oh, so much to say about that one, but that would have to be another podcast <gasps> for another time. Yeah. Anyway, thank you so much for book swapping with me well, once Thank you again. for having me. And hopefully this summer, spring, later in the spring or summer when Emma is back from Acadia. Or who knows, might be sooner. Who knows? Um, we will do some more book swaps and some more episodes. Sounds lovely. All, All right. right. And that wraps up the first Shelf Esteem of 2022 and our latest book swap episode. Emma and I will be book swapping again sometime later in the spring or summer when we get back together. And in the meantime, I have some great guests lined up. Hope to be bringing you a new episode at the end of February. Uh, And certainly hoping that this uh, Robert Ludlum thriller we're all living through, the Omicron variant, has eased up to the point that I can invite some guests into the studio again and we can talk about more of the great books that people are reading and enjoying. Once again, uh, this month's books were Throw Down Your Shadows by Deborah Hemming and Big Summer by Jennifer Weiner. We recommend both of them. And as always, all the books that we talked about, because other ones do come up in the conversation, are listed on the show notes. So if you just go to my page, TrudyMorganCole.com, click on the Shelf Esteem link, it will take you to links for all the episodes, including all the show notes. Until we're back together again, read a good book and build your shelf esteem.